Welcome to Market Scale Sports and Entertainment. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with my close personal friend, James Yoder. James is the CEO and founder of Chad Sports. James, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great to talk. I'm really a fan of superhero origin stories. I really find them interesting. Tell me how you realized that this industry was where your superpowers were going to flourish. You know, I wanted to be in sports. I think I I really was one of these uh, young people that when you said, you know, do something you love and you never work a day in your life, uh, I kind of took that to heart. And I, I always had sports as my my long-term vision, but you know, I worked in sports for a year, kind of right end of college into it uh, for a college football media company, recruiting media company. And there was just no money in it back then. I don't know if they're still, you know, how, how the, the brand industry is. I know how we do, but um, you know, for a 23 year old, 24 year old making, you know, $20,000 or less, like that just wasn't going to be an option for me. So I left sports for you know seven years and worked in corporate America uh, three different roles, uh, you know, got a couple promotions that allowed me to move to a few different parts of the country and always had sports as like, okay, let's figure it out. And when I got my you know last job, I was working at Verizon. Um, I was working in the, in the, the true hardcore mobile part of Verizon, which is working on developing devices, taking them to market, working with you know, app developers on how the Android ecosystem was, which is the product that I was mostly focused on how we could develop it, I realized that, wow, sports is the one space that for the from the way we cover it to the way it's played, there's no technology behind it. And I'm working with this tech conglomerate. You know, can I take what I've learned over the six, seven year period to add it to a passion and maybe um, you know, have a unique insight into the space? And so that's where uh, I, I ran with it. And there's been so, you know, so many iterations or things that we thought were going to be uh, uh, you know game changing or not that didn't work some stuff we didn't think that was going to work that did and you know ultimately after a, a few year stretch we built our company on more written content and mobile uh, but saw uh, maybe a bigger opportunity a couple of years in on video and uh, you know, dabbled and and I, I think there's this thing about businesses when. When you're starting off, if you're a first-time founder, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And sometimes you're a second-time founder, which I'm not. I'm still a first-timer. You can uh, eliminate a lot of those mistakes and that wasted time in the early part. And I think with this second product we came out with, we eliminated a lot of that uh, uh, wasted time and, and mistakes. And we've just kind of been hitting on all cylinders for, uh, for the last year, year and a half on the live video front. Okay, so let's take the concept of mistakes. Tell me how a smaller startup company that's more agile than one of these big conglomerates. Tell me how you can benefit from letting the big companies make the mistakes and learning from those when you're setting your strategy. Well, you know, they, uh, the, the bigger companies, uh, I, they, they got big companies for a reason. That's because they did a lot of things right or, you know, figured out ways to make a lot of money and, and consistently do that. So, they are by nature with that going to be slower to change. And I think about one of the whys of we move, us moving into uh, live video and video on demand is we had a, a, you know, a board member and, and, and an advisor that said, look, uh, my company, the company he works for, we're trying to get all these TV networks to uh, broadcast their content on, on us. And, and I'm not going to say his name, but he works for a, you know, a major social media company. And he's like, no one in sports wants to because they basically take the lion's share of the revenue on cable. They take the lion's share 
of the commercial revenue because of live sports. Uh, and they're going to miss this wave of going to new platforms. So that was maybe the biggest aha moment was think about print to internet and companies, you know, let's just say Sports Illustrated or the sporting news dominated print uh, and newspapers, of course, you know, magazines, newspapers, and where those sites compared to like a Bleacher Report or SB Nation that came uh, into prominence 10 years ago that still exists now. And so the next wave of that, is it on video and audio programming? We've seen the emergence of podcasts. Now we're seeing the emergence of video uh, focused companies uh, like Chat Sports. And so the, the le- learning lesson is there is sometimes if you're too slow to move and make, make adjustments, that you can lose your entire industry. And I don't think certainly ESPN or Fox or CBS Sports are there anywhere close to it, but uh, they are slow moving and making mistakes by not embracing uh, digital and embracing technology when it came to their video products. I think it's just going to leave them susceptible to a company like, like ours. Uh, hopefully it's us, maybe it's somebody else that can be what Bleach Report was to written content. You know, who can be that to video content? That gives ESPN a run for their money. Technology is changing the way we want to get our information. As a smaller company that has their eye set on taking advantage of the concept of disruption, how do you run with that concept? You decide, you know what, here are some things that other people don't do very well, and we can do those things wonderfully. Well, when we got into video, um, like I said, it was not something that I had aspired to do or even thought of, but saw an opportunity and now I'm in love with it is that when when we saw people putting content on YouTube, Facebook Live, Periscope, uh, when, when these streaming platforms started to come to fruition, it was either one of two things. It was someone using their iPhone to try and record a show and it was very dumbed down. There was no graphics. There was no production value. And if there was production value, it was TV companies just shrinking down their hour-long program to different you know, platforms with no, um, I guess, customization to the platform. And so one of the things we learned and tried very quickly is that even if we can be first to market on having all this great programming on Facebook Live and Amazon and, and YouTube, um, that necessarily isn't defensible. So the, the defensible part is to understand the user behaviors. And so we have focused like half of our efforts on understanding people's behaviors, how we acquire an audience, how we retain people, uh, what segments do well, what colors and font schemes, as as granular as that stuff. And, and we make changes. And if it increases audience, we start doing that more across more segments. If it decreases audience, then we just don't do it again. Or maybe we try it one more time. And I've used this analogy. If you just say ESPN, I'll just use Stephen A. Smith as an example. If they could make a decision, or you know, if they put Stephen A. Smith on camera after game six of uh, an NBA playoff series, and they saw instantly that 25 or 30% of the people changed the channel or muted it or, you know, otherwise dis- disengaged, they would make different programming decisions. And if that existed in TV, I think we'd have a tough time of understanding behaviors differently, and, and it, but it doesn't. Uh, by the platforms we're focusing on, we can build tools that allow us to say, okay, we put X segment or Y anchor uh, on the screen. Did that do better or do worse for our audience? 
and you know at all times be trying to figure out what 10 things are doing helping us grow what are the things we're still doing that aren't let's how do we get those out of our our, our lineup it sounds like you're really taking to heart the concept of something that you can measure you can change Exactly. You nailed it. Let's talk about that because not only are you the founder and CEO of Chat Sports, you're also the head of content. How is the social media platforms, the internet connected devices as a content creator? Do you just see that as like this giant wonderland of places that you can go and play? Well, it's interesting that the my own behaviors have changed. You know, if I was thinking 15 years ago and in college or out of high school, all this different stuff. I was spending a lot of my free time, you know, when I was younger, it was watching TV. You sat around, you watched it, you watched it at night, you watched Sports Center. If they didn't have, uh, you know, I think back to 2006, 7, 8, 9, when LeBron you know, came into his own, made the finals, and being from Cleveland, that was a big deal for me. Um, and I wasn't living there anymore, but I would wait and watch Sports Center. Even if it took 40 minutes, I would just sit there with it on until the LeBron highlight came on. And like, all right, great. Now LeBron's having on. I can watch it. And I've made my nights. I, I have what I want. But that doesn't exist anymore because you can get those highlights almost anywhere. And so what the uh, the, the the digital networks are doing is, is trying is giving you the ability to create the ecosystem uh, around uh, around sports. And and sometimes that includes highlights. And I think one of the examples of what we're doing, I think, pretty exciting stuff is around the Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, Chat Sports was founded in uh, in San Francisco and, and have been kind of at a first row seat to a lot of the, the stuff the Warriors have done over the past three seasons. Uh, but we go live with the show within, you know, minutes after every Warriors game. And it's a 20 to potentially as long as 30 minute show where it's the highlights, analysis, points, three takeaways, go back to the highlights, everything you'd expect from a sports center. But you are getting it as a Warriors fan on a specific YouTube channel, a specific Facebook page with an engaged audience of, you know, our, our Facebook page. It's like 100,000 people follow just Golden State Warriors by Chat Sports. They get that show and they can engage with each other by commenting and, and, and taking, you know, we do, we do things that, like uh, I may have said in the past of different people. We do polls. We do uh, questions. You know, do you think Steph is, you know, is injured? You comment and people will fill up the comments on Facebook or YouTube with their thoughts, and they can be as important as our anchors or our presentation. And that's just something you're never going to get from TV. So you're changing the definition of on-demand. But what you're doing is you're actually doing live demand. We've had a lot of breakthroughs in this in this path down video. And some of it's like, well, well Facebook, um, maybe I'm giving away too many secrets of this. But f- Facebook will show very few people a Facebook Live video at start. What they're going to want to measure is, are people hitting that like button or commenting on it? Are they engaging in some way? Are they being an active viewer versus a passive? So we started to build our programming around that. But then it became, all right, let's take a look. Let's just like be consumers of analytics at every point we can get. And we notice with sports, and we don't have access to everyone's analytics. We only have access to what we have. And what we notice is things like when there were halftime or commercial breaks or the game ended, um, content will get more engagement. And this isn't even live video content. This is sometimes just sharing an article on one of our Facebook pages or a photo. So if so, the thesis became, if people are hardcore sports fans, uh, they're either watching the game or they're not, of course. If they're watching it, the second they the game is not on TV, they're ignoring those advertisers and they're going to their phone. And for a lot of people, going to their phone means going to Facebook. So with our NFL coverage, 
halftime shows. That's something that there's an opportunity that they pull Facebook and wow, there is a halftime show about the game I just turned off live on Facebook. Interesting. And then after the game, it'll be the same thing. But if I want to come back to that, like you said, on demand, if I want to watch an hour from, from now, it's of course still there. So we have uh, taken, and I, uh, I, I want to mention this is one of the advantages a digital, you know, kind of quote unquote TV company has, but a digital live video company will have is that if you're not restricted by your single isolated channel, ESPN's got their two or three channels and they can't say, oh man, we can't, we've got everything going here. There's this other story we want to do. They're limited. So what we have the ability to do is a recent example, three or four weeks ago, Des Bryant was cut by the Cowboys and our guys were on air, unprompted, unscripted. Uh, you know, we had first segment built when they went on air and like the rest of the team that was working on that show knew they had like five minutes to build the graphics, the B-roll, the highlights, whatever information they needed to deliver to those hosts to do a 30-minute show five to 10 minutes after the news broke. And there's no way I could ever see a TV network being willing to take that risk. You know, one, they'll break into news coverage, of course, but they're not going to uh, just kind of spin up an entire new program based on news. And we do that about 25 times a year, maybe twice a month. Some story will happen and it is big enough to create an entire program on the fly about. And those are the ones, like you said, like live on demand. If you're going to see, wow, oh my gosh, Carmelo Anthony got traded to the Thunder. If you also need to see a program on that, you're like, wait, didn't they just tweet it out? How do these guys already on air? You can get such an outsized audience that it can make, you know, it can accelerate your numbers <laughs> like you couldn't believe. And so that's one of the things we always uh, are focused on. There, there's 25 times a year in our office it's happening, two times a month that it's like, oh my gosh, this happened. All right, go live. Like, who's on air? Who's producing? Who is, you know, doing post production, pre production? And it is just drop everything because this is the most important thing for us right now. I think it's safe to say that one of the most landscape altering developments in sports broadcasting over the past 30 years is, of course, the glowing blue mm -hmm. puck. But <laughs> I think second to that is this move towards cutting the cord. Uh -huh. That can't not change the landscape of sports broadcasting, right? I think that you will see, we've seen it the past two seasons with the NFL. It was first Twitter in 16 and then Amazon in 17. You're going to see more games on uh, digital or social platforms. But the TV companies aren't going to go away. They know where their money's made. You see how many of the top 50 programs in the fall are NFL games as far as large audiences. But what I think you'll see is the NFL, the next time their contracts come up, either do some sort of split or hybrid model where they sell Monday football to ESPN, but also Netflix and Sunday NFC to Fox, but also Amazon. Uh, and where we are, you know, we're kind of banking uh, our future on that one, because we believe it to be true. But two, we also know Amazon and Netflix and Facebook and Twitter, they will produce some original stuff. We know Netflix for sure is leading the way on that. But they don't have a sports, um, you know, DNA. So the, where's the ecosystem around that? If they're going to pay tens or hundreds of millions of dollars for NFL, NBA, college football coverage or, you know, live games, who's the pregame? Who's the postgame? Who is the Tuesday fantasy? Who is the uh, NFL power rankings, college football, AP poll shows that go along with that? So it's not just a, Oh, I think we're going to go to Amazon to watch this. It's, wow, Amazon Prime or Netflix or whoever the 
Twitter. That's my place for live sports betting. I don't have to go to the you know $85 a month cable bundle bundle that eight of that goes to ESPN, two goes to NFL Network, and you know three goes to Fox Sports. That model, I, it's always going to have its place. But but you are it's it's so amazing. You know, being someone in my mid thirties, when I talk to someone who's 22, 23, and we've got some employees those ages, it just doesn't even cross their minds to do traditional cable anymore. It literally doesn't even cross their minds. Well, I have to say, I'm going to wish you continued success in your quest of disruption. And it's really cool to get to talk to you, James. I'm really, really glad you could take the time today. Today, I have had a chat with the CEO and founder of Chat Sports, James Yoder. You can find out more about Chat Sports by going to www.chatsports.com or even smarter and more hip. Check them out on Twitter at Chat Sports. James, thanks so much for taking the time today, my friend. I really appreciate it. Sean, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. 